Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Com Report wherever you get your podcast. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Much appreciated. If you're not on YouTube and you want to see us on YouTube, go to Empire Media network on YouTube, and that's A-M-P-I-R-E. I always say it's much appreciated because it is. Today, I'm joined by former Washington tight end Logan Paulson, a favorite of mine and a favorite of yours. He's going to give us really good insight into what he has seen watching practice over the last couple of weeks. We talked not just about Jahan Dodson and Carson Wentz, there's some really good stuff there, but also the tight end group, why he likes this rookie class. Brian Robinson, and some vets who have jumped out to him in a very positive way, and one corner who's got had some few struggles this, this spring. So stay tuned for that. I'll get to that in a minute. You can follow Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82. He does a lot of breakdowns there. He's also has a podcast with Craig Hoffman called Take Command. Check him out there as well. As for me, you know you can read my work on ESPN.com. All sorts of stories are going to be up there. Um, some stuff on the stadium vote right now, and I'm going to get to that in one second. Be, and give me about two minutes before I get to Logan. So first of all, on Thursday, the Virginia General Assembly decided to table a vote on the stadium until the next year. Now, not a surprise, expected that to happen. So all the talk about was it Jack Del Rio's comments that pushed him over. This was headed this way anyways. Now, the timing of it, it wasn't great. It certainly may have pushed some over the edge, but I think they were going there anyways. <clears throat> Simply put, they didn't have enough support for the stadium in the state, and it's for a variety of reasons. Yes, it has to do with the owner, Dan Snyder. It has to do with all the off-field stuff and all the issues going on. I think they'd like those to be resolved and, 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 and then move past that. And then the other thing is just uh, talked to one state senator who said it's about transportation. This is one of the worst bottleneck areas in, on the East Coast. They need to come up with a transportation plan to take care of it. They've been trying to get Metro down there for years. I don't know that this is going to expedite anything. So they've got to come up with a plan to alleviate transportation concerns. So it's a swirl of, of reasons as to why. And Chap Peterson, of course, who is a longtime Redskins fan, and I don't think he's much of a Commanders fan, but his thing has been he doesn't see the support for a pro sports franchise. What I know is my podcast has grown during one of the most turbulent periods of this franchise's history. So I know you guys are still out there because you're listening. So there you go. One reminder on the stadium vote too. Jack Kent Cook had a hell of a time getting that stadium built way back in the 90s. They were coming off a Super Bowl. He was a quote-unquote beloved owner, but he did not get along with the D.C. Mayor Sharon Pratt Kelly had trouble in Virginia when they tried to build in Alexandria. They said, no way. Then he went to Maryland, paid for it on his own. So all the talking, yes, Dan Snyder has not been, has not helped this franchise, but Cook had a hard time getting stuff built here too. And he was in a much different spot. They're in a much worse spot now. And I think it makes it harder. So we'll see where this goes. <clears throat> Finally, on Jack Del Rio. Now we talked about it the other day, not going to rehash all the controversy. My thing right now is, does it affect the locker room? So I called around to a few people today. First of all, he's not getting fired. So unless something dramatically changes, okay, not getting fired. Secondly, as far as like how it plays in the locker room, you heard what John Allen said, and that's 
that's the sentiment I've gotten from a lot of people. They don't care what somebody thinks. They just want to know, can you make me better? Can you help me on the field? Are you working hard? As long as that's the case, it's, it's not going to be an issue. The issue will come in if they start to struggle or he's inflexible with certain things. And that's one of the knocks that has been on Jack Del Rio over the years is, does the ego get in the way? And I think that's something more so than what he said or tweeted, et cetera. I talked to multiple people about this. Now, I'm sure there's going to be some guys who are going to be bothered by it, but I don't think it's going to be an issue. Okay. So, and I actually, I talked to Logan about this in a minute from a locker room perspective, not about whether he's right or wrong. That's for anybody else to decide. And it's his opinion, but just the impact in the locker room. So right now, I don't, I don't see that based on what I've heard from people, either close from people close to players and those that the, they, the players tell these guys a lot of things. So that's why I feel comfortable saying that. I don't know. They see it. In fact, I had one guy tell me that's Chase Young's guy loves Jack. Delia. So there you go. Where it goes from here, who knows, but that's what I know right now. So that's enough for me. Let's get to my conversation with former Washington tight end, Logan Paulson. Logan, I finally had a chance to get out and watch some practice. <laughs> so we can finally talk some ball from based on what I've seen as well. And one of the guys that I want to get to is Jahan Dotson because it takes one time watching him to realize this kid could be really good. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I do want to start with the quote-unquote fun topic, which is all the Jack Del Rio flap. But I don't want to go on down a political road. My only concern here is in the locker room, how do someone's beliefs or things they say, in, you know, and you can be, speak in general because you're not going to know all that's going on there. Right. But in general, you may have a coach who thinks differently than you. You may have a coach who says certain things. How does that stuff play out in the locker room? Can it affect a locker room? Yeah, you know, I was talking to my wife about this last night because, you know, it is it is it's such a different time than it was. But I will say, like, in my experience, and I can only speak on my experience, which is 10 years with a whole bunch of different teams and a whole bunch of different time periods. Like I got to kind of, you know, I got to be in San Francisco right after Colin Kaepernick was there. I got to be in Atlanta, which is a very progressive kind of forward thinking organization with regards to like social justice and things like that. Um, and I will say that the locker room traditionally is very apolitical. You know what I mean? Like, like everyone has their beliefs, right? They have their, uh, you know, their, you're, you're bringing guys in from all over the country, like inner city kids, you know, rural country kids. And it's kind of a melding of cultures and melding of the minds. And for the most part, it tends to be very apolitical. Like at lunch, you might have a conversation about you know, who the next president's going to be or whatever, and it gets a little bit heated. But for whatever reason, and I don't know why this is, you know, maybe it's the common goal of like beating the opponent the next week. For whatever reason, that always just kind of gets quashed and gets washed under the rug. There's people on the team. You know, there's people on the team now with the commanders that have very kind of um, extreme beliefs, right, and left-leaning. And there's never any friction or any reported friction about those interactions. So usually, usually those things are, are pretty, uh, pretty calm. I think this is a little bit unique because it is a coordinator, right? Because it is a person in a position of power and it might affect the dynamic, but I would imagine most guys, most guys, at least in my experience, aren't, they don't think about this like kind of grandiose political thing. Like when I was in San Francisco, obviously, um, uh, Reed was there, the safety from LSU, and he was very politically minded. And so that was something we talked about a lot. But as a team, it was something that came up in team meetings. And it was something that the team kind of wanted to address. And I'm not sure that Ron feels that way. And we'll see how it happens over the next couple of weeks. But I do think that 
traditionally these things tend to get kind of pushed by people might be upset for a short period of time, but they're worried about winning football games in my experience. And I think that's probably going to play out here. Well, that's what John Allen told JP Finley that he just wants a coordinator who's going to work really hard and whatever they believe, they believe because they're allowed to believe it, et cetera. Do you think like a guy, like how many players you think would be comfortable going to somebody in Jack's position to talk to him about this if they indeed had a problem? Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a really good question. And the answer is, I don't I don't know. I'm trying to, you know, when this happened, I try to think back to see if anything, there was even a precedent in my career, a precedent that I'd heard about for this. And, and there wasn't really one, right? Obviously, there are coaches who have different beliefs than the players, but usually that's kept pretty quiet. So for a guy to kind of openly express his political position, uh, which um, could be, you know, an issue with some of the uh, other players on the team, or some of the players on the team, some of the younger players. And I will say this too, it's important to note that the NFL, even in my time period, changed pretty drastically, you know, in terms of pl- players being kind of politically minded. So it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me if there are people who are upset by this and want to talk to Jack. Um, I think it just depends on their level on the team, quite frankly. Like, I don't think a rookie's going to go talk to Jack Del Rio about their political ideologies and their political differences. I don't. But if a guy like John, you know, had like wanted to go talk to Jack or he felt compelled to, I think that would be totally appropriate. You know what I mean? I think he's he's earned that right. He's earned that opportunity. And I think he has his place in this organization to do that if he wanted to. Same thing with Terry. If Terry felt like the need or compelled to do that, I think that would be totally appropriate. And like they're both grown men. They can have a conversation about it um, and then get back to work, you know, and I think, um, you know, and I think I think Jack would respect someone like that coming to him uh, with a differing opinion for sure. And I, I wonder too, like if some of those players, they're making so much money, they know like, Hey, it gives me some freedom to go then right. at least talk to you about it. Yeah. I think that's hundred percent right. Like, you know, money is power in the NFL. The more money you make, the more leeway you have. The, I like to use this analogy, like the longer leash you have, you know, as a player, like I think about guys like Trent Williams and like he was off his leash down the block, doing whatever he wanted. He could say or do whatever he wanted because he's one of the best players ever at his position. Right. Um, and then me, I'm like tied to the stake in the yard, right? The, the leash is right to my neck. So I could never in my time ever go talk to a coach about anything like this. You know, uh, I would maybe talk to my position coach, you know, and kind of say like, this is how the guys are feeling. And, you know, later in my career, when I was older, like I had a leadership role and, you know, coaches would come ask me and I would give my opinion then, but I, I never really would have felt comfortable going directly to a coach because I, my, my margin for error was so small. So I think, um, you know, I think back to like, you know, like guys like London Fletcher, guys like Zoe, guys like Hedrick, guys that were leaders in the locker room when I was young here, I would expect those guys, I would go to those guys and say like, Hey man, I don't really feel comfortable with this. And then they would go and handle that. And that's what a good, a well-led team does is they kind of manage this and they make sure everyone's heard and, and you, and that's why having guys in those leadership positions are so important, quite frankly, in the locker room. So, um, again, this is a little unusual to have a coordinator come out and kind of, you know, express a, such a strong opinion. Um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the team handles it. But usually the team is built in a way that it can kind of handle this and, and it can get communicated well. It's an issue that they got to handle. And it's, it's something that you don't want to be thinking about because all you want to think about is football as a player. Like I'm, I'm 100% like. Like my football, when I, when, when Jack said this, my football uh, kind of P- PTSD came back and I was like, man, like, why are we talking about this? We should be talking about football, but this is something that the locker room can handle and will handle. And uh, I think the more interesting question is like what Ron does with the whole thing. But um, in terms of the locker room, I think it'll be okay. What, what, what can, what can he do with it? Like, what do you think? 
you know, I think that's, that's the million dollar question. That's where, that's why that guy gets paid a lot of money to be a leader in this, this type of situation. And I think, I think it has to be addressed in the locker room. I think it would be appropriate for Ron to kind of bring it up and say, Hey, like, this is what we did. This is what Jack said. This is what Jack said is an apology. Um, if you have anything you'd like to say to Jack, like maybe set a time aside and go talk to Jack about it specifically, you know, but from this time to this time, like, we're talking about football and we're here to win games and we're here to win a Super Bowl or we're here to win a playoff game, whatever his goal is for the 2022 season. And then um, just make sure the players have an opportunity to express themselves if they do have some kind of discontent and make sure they can do it in a um, in a professional manner. Because, you know, as, as much as people want to think of the NFL as the Wild West, it is a professional environment and just making sure people have a platform to be heard. Because if something festers like that and there's like some malcontent, I think that just leads to bad things down the road, you know. And, and my my other big thing with the two, and again, everybody's got freedom of speech, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But it's creating another headline for this franchise that yeah. didn't need another headline. I think that's probably the most frustrating thing. Like, you know, as much as like I've, I'm so maybe I didn't have the best ending experience here in Washington, like this place will always have a special place in my heart as a player. You know, my family lives here, right? We love it. We, our kids are growing up here, all that kind of thing. And and I can't tell you over the years, like I've had hundreds of fans come up to me and said, oh, I've been a lifelong fan. I'm, we're just waiting for him to turn the corner. And through OTAs, like we'll talk about this in a second, like there has been a lot of things to be excited about. Yeah. You know, the quarterbacks look good. Your first round draft picks look good. All of your draft picks have looked good. You get development, you know, from second year guys. It's like this is positive football conversation that all of a sudden is kind of side uh, sidetracked by things unrelated to football. And I think that's the thing that's really frustrating about it is like this team, at least in my time covering and playing for the team, has always got something kind of swirling around. And this this will probably just be a little speed bump, I think, in the grand scheme of, you know, Washington football controversy, unfortunately. But, um, you know, it is something that has to be uh, has to be talked about, you know, because it is it is a it is an important issue. Right. And and again, my my point of view is always my job here is to talk about how it could impact this team. Right. Not about political persuasion, anything like that. People right. can choose what they want to do and all that, but it's only the impact there. And that's why I want to ask you about that. But let's get to the field because I think that's what people still want to hear about. And, you know, you, you bring up, let's start with the quarterback. Always yeah. a good place to start. One of the things that, first of all, we know that he has a big arm, right? Carson yeah. Wentz has a big arm. Um, that's not a surprise to see that. Um, one thing that Ron has talked about too, is that he's, like Carson's very hard on himself and he's like, he'll hear, he'll hear him talking. He'll turn around. It's like, it's Carson mumbling to himself about something he should have done on a particular play. So like, those are little things that you right. start to see. Um, but what are some things that you see that say, okay, this could work because. Yeah. I, th I th So I think the first thing you got to talk about is the arm strength. And like, just when you compare Wentz to Heineke on throw to throw basis like you just see what it does for the offense like I go I, and Heineke's had a very solid OTA period right he has a mastery of the offense he's making the correct reads like all of those things but I think every day there's a throw like um, you know three days ago Diami's running a seam up the sideline and Heineke throws it it's the right read Diami's got a step and the ball kind of flutters and dives inside right and like the very next play Jahan runs a post and Carson makes a throw that only like five dudes in the NFL can make. And you say like, 
that's the difference in the offense, right? And then, so obviously there's the physical capability that Carson has, and everyone's talked about that. That's been well-documented. That's why they brought him here. I think, you know, Ron talked a lot about fit, and you understand why they like the fit here so much because of that physical skill set. But then two days ago, um, you know, there's a dig on the left side of the offensive formation, and they're in quarters coverage, right? And so Carson looks to the dig, and then shuffles his feet and then throws the post over the top and just like the subtle eye manipulation of the defense there to manufacture that big play i think speaks to the skill set of a gentleman who's been around the nfl for a long time now his career has been up and down and that's been well documented as well but he obviously has kind of that 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 skill set that vision that kind of second level thinking for the position which i think is extremely valuable now you know like the the negative the negative speak about himself i think is indicative of some like um kind of uh you know confidence issues maybe that um, that's the thing i'm most concerned about with him because like when you watch practice you're like he's got everything you want he's big he's physical he's done a couple he's kept a, he's kept the ball a couple times on some uh, zone reads and um you know rpo stuff that's where the defenders got his hands up he's had a run and you see a big athletic dude and even though he's not maybe the athlete he was when he was drafted he's very very skilled so um you know just in terms of what it does for the offense like this offense all of a sudden looks like this is going to sound maybe harsh, but it looks like an NFL offense, right? Every throw, the field is open to him. And I think that's something that gets me, gets me super excited. And again, there's the psychological element of playing the quarterback position, but I, I think he just brings so much to the table and he makes this offense so much better. And he also talked, one of the things he talked about too, the other day, he said that there are times when he looks back on his career too, where he was running more early in his career. Mm. He kind of wants to get away from that. And, sure. you know, and out here, you're not going to see him run a whole lot. You shouldn't see him run a whole lot, yeah. but you do see him using some of that mobility. I think there was a play yesterday where kind of gets out of something. And he's able to kind of, you know, different arm slot makes a nice completion to the back. Um, so yep. you see the ability to do some of that stuff, but how much, can, does he need to get – do you think he needs to get away from some of the running or has that not been, you know, a big issue for him? And Yeah, so I think the big thing with him specifically is just knowing knowing when the play's dead. You know, like as a runner, when you've got the football on your hands, sometimes you got to know when the play's dead. Like that's something I had a really hard time with early in my career. Like I'd be running, I'd be breaking tackles, and there's a period where your ball security – is becoming because you've been jostled around so much is becoming worse and worse as the down goes on and the ball is becoming more and more exposed. And so I remember I had a conversation with my coach. He's like, sometimes like the ball is the most important thing. Sometimes you just got to get down. And so sometimes when I see Carson Wentz, I feel like he hasn't always, he doesn't always understand that sometimes it's better just to take a bad play instead of making that bad play worse. And one of the features of his bad plays is when he starts trying to extend plays outrun defensive linemen and really try to manufacture that big throw, that, that big play, that wow moment. And he can do it, but you don't need to do it all the time. You need to be more selective about when that happens. So I think that's something that I want to keep an eye on for him, you know, is just how is he managing that kind of hero ball element? You know, I'm sure that term's been thrown around a lot on this show. Yeah. And, um, and that's something that's it's because it's important. It's, it's a characteristic that is it's a negative character characteristic of his game that he got away with early in his career. And it kind of bred confidence. It, another analogy is like that running back. Who's always looking for the home run shot. Like that is not effective running back play. Sometimes you just got to cram it in there and take the, take the cloud of dust and live to play another down instead of taking a five yard loss. That's something that he needs to learn how to do. And I think, if you look back on his plays from last year and the year before, those plays were caused oftentimes by him trying to extend the play, be a runner when he should just throw the ball away and live to play the next down. 
So the other spot before I get to Dotson, because so much has been talked about with Dotson too, but yeah, yeah. guys like you know the the young tight ends, not just Colter, oh. but the young tight ends. You seem to be pretty high on that group. Just what are you seeing? Yeah, I think the thing with the group is like with as a as a, an evaluator of football, like there's certain physical characteristics you look for, right? Like in the draft, you're like, oh, is he this height? Is he this weight? Is his speed good? And for whatever reason, they've been able to find people who are excellent in all of those measurables. Three guys, Cole Turner, Curtis Hodges, and uh, Armani Rogers, I think is his name. And they're all tall. They're all 6'6 six, six plus. They're all between 245 and 250. And they all run really well outside of Hodges, who didn't run as well. But when you watch his tape, I feel like he's a better athlete than his numbers would indicate. So you've got to got these three kind of athletic guys that I think a lot of people would characterize it as developmental guys. But, you know, when you compare them to Sam East, for example, who's a true developmental guy, they're very, very close to contributing to this roster. So like if you were to make the commander's roster today and assuming Logan Thomas is on IR, it's Bates, Cole Turner, Hodges are your, are your guys that are playing football for you. And the crazy thing about it is you don't feel bad about it because you watch Hodges. I'd say, you know, he had a slow start. He had a nice like four day stretch where he was catching everything. He was getting open. He was, turning dbs around he was competing he's competing in line he's not excelling he's competing in line which he loved then he pulls his hamstring cole turner again we've talked about this a lot you see the suddenness you see his leg strength when he has to make kind of a speed cut he can just throw his foot in the ground which is an unusual characteristic for a guy who's six six and a half and then you see the catch radius and you know as an evaluator a guy who watched him you say does that catch radius transfer does he have the play strength and when you see him Obviously, we need to put the pads on. There's a lot of things that still need to happen. But you see that and you say, wow, that part of the evaluation that Castillo, that Ron, that the staff did here and said, that catch radius is going to be so important because that dude, because of his tight weight speed, is always now open. And because he can compete for those 50-50 balls, it's just a nice skill set within the offense. And because he's got like this mental edge, you can tell. I think I told this story before. But the first day they had a false start in the tight end group and they had to do conditioning afterwards. And I stayed after and watched him run. And he sprinted those like his life depended on it. And he's, you can tell he's got a little bit of an edge to him, which is something as an evaluator you want to see, because that guy's going to get better as the season goes on. So again, that, that group of three right there. And then I didn't even mention Rogers, like every day he, cause he played quarterback in college at Ohio and every day he gets better. And every day you see him run and open it up and you're like, man, how unusual is it to have three guys that are this kind of high upside guys on the same roster? They seem to have all have a good mindset. They are, are all seem to be coachable. Like when I watch individuals and stuff like that, it's just like an embarrassment of riches. So obviously there is a growth that needs to happen. So I'm not saying they're going to be all pro bowlers right away, but to have them all here all under contract is a really good problem to have, especially with Logan Thomas's injury. Right. And I think the key here is that, they're good guys to de- try and develop because yeah. we still don't know where they're going to go, but they have yeah. tools and traits that are worth developing. And, you know, so because I don't want to hear like if, if somebody sees, oh, here's embarrassment of riches. Like, oh, they're going to be <laughs> awesome this year. It's about having yeah, guys yeah. that are worth developing is, yeah. is, is the key. And then there's a lot that goes into it, but it, it wouldn't be shocking to see some of them contribute this year. Um, an, another guy that another guy that I want to ask about is Brian Robinson, because yeah. It's really hard to tell with running backs. And I always use an example of Larry Johnson when he was, Mm. he was here one summer and in training camp, it's like, all everybody's like, Oh my God, he looks, he looks great. He had this long run. Well, in the games, it was a two yard run. Yeah. He couldn't, he was done, but in practice, you couldn't tell. 
So, but I also know when Alfred Morris was here, you could see certain traits that like, yeah. oh, this kid might be better than you think. So what do, what kind of traits are you seeing with Robinson just in shorts and, and helmet and T-shirt that, that you think, hey, this might translate well? Yeah, so I think it's important. There are certain positions that you can evaluate at a pretty high level, like cornerback, receiver, tight end to a certain extent. Without pads on, you get a really good feel for what they're doing. Running back is one of those positions that's very, very challenging without pads on, as you know, right. and as you alluded to. Um, but one of the things you do see from him, and that does make you excited, is you see the vision and you see his ability to set up blocks. And I think, again, and you see the contact balance. Like, So one of, what I mean by that is like he'll go into a pile of people and he's kind of hopping around trying to find the crease and wedged in there. And people are banging into him and he never loses his base. He never loses his balance. And again, that's one data point. But that's something that gets you excited. And then the thing that gets you really excited is the thing that you can test kind of regardless is his vision, right? So he'll be, you know, he's on his track and he's pressing, pressing, pressing. He looks like he's going to bury the run, bury the in the guard's back. And the linebacker pops over to the double team. The double team lands. Then he cuts back and he hits a five-yard gain. You know, and it could be more. He could break a tackle, whatever it is. But he's creating that space. He's creating those angles for the offensive line. And I think that's – Which he did is, in college too. Yes, and I think that's the big thing is he did it in college. And so one of the things everyone says is the OTA period is nonsense. It's You get no information out of it. I get to see how how they how the speed, how the size, how the vision, how the cuts, all that stuff lines up with NFL talent, you know, and this is the first time to do it. And it's kind of like a glorified walkthrough, whatever it is, but at least you can see those traits and that applies to the NFL, which is encouraging, right? It's the same thing with Cole Turner. It's the same thing with Jahan. It's the same thing with Federian. You know, you're, you're seeing traits, things that they did well, and how they apply with bigger, stronger, faster people who are much more football, uh, higher football IQs at the NFL level. So, so all good things. And like when you talk to people around the building about them, they feel the same way. And again, running back is a pad position. You need to have pads on to, to finish that evaluation. But in terms of kind of checking boxes early on and giving you a nice complimentary piece to what you already have, like it's so interesting because usually you draft offensive linemen to make your running back better. Here, this is a kind of a, a unique situation because Robinson's vision is so good and because he's shown such good vision, the offensive line production will improve, I think, just because of that. So it's kind of this reverse situation that you normally get offensive line helping back. No, back helping the offensive line. Let's go to the defense real quick. Uh, Federian yep. Mathis, but also Federian Mathis combined with Jamin Davis, Cole Holcomb. Yeah, so I think that I'm really glad you made that comparison because Fedarian, uh, obviously, the first couple of days, I think it was a little fast for him. I think when you're going against a guy like Cosme, who has like the highest RAS score since Taylor Lewan, like you, that's a new thing to see. And he had a hard time. But then as the camp days went on, you saw him kind of using some of that length, getting in the position, backdooring double teams, doing sneaky kind of vet stuff and stuff that you saw in college um, and applying it to here. And then Every day that he got better, it was crazy to see Holcomb and Jamin got more productive. And I think Holcomb has just been like, you know, everyone wants to say, is he ready to play Mike? To me, he's the most, he's, he's, he's going to be a good player this year. You know, is he going to be the highest graded PFF linebacker? No. But is he going to be good? Is he going to be solid? Can he get you lined up? Is he physical? Is he fast? Yes. And I think with a piece like Fedarian, you know, drawn when he comes back, 
I think I think he's going to have a really productive year. And then I think you mentioned Jamin. Like Jamin's uh, play, he's not in as much because they're running like five downs. They're running some Buffalo nickel variations. They're running dime variations. And he's kind of the sub piece in that. But when he is in, you see a guy who's just much more confident, much more confident to the football. Like now he still needs to take on blocks. He still needs to, you know, um, work on his vision at times. He still needs to work on his tackling. But in terms of a guy who's, playing more confident and playing faster, which is the main thing with him. Dude runs a 4-4. Let's see the 4-4. Right. You're starting to see the 4-4 come along a little bit more. You're starting to see him run by guys to the football. You're starting to see him peel double teams to his gap quickly and effectively. And those are all very, very healthy signs. Now, again, linebacker, much like running back, you need shoulder pads on to ultimately get that out. But I like to see that the mental processes are progressing for him because that – is a really good sign that his physical play will also follow. Um, let's, let's secondary Benjamin yeah. St. Juice to me jumped out. We've talked about him, but I've you know, and we've talked again. We talked about him, and I could see what you're talking about. And I think they are been really pleased with his play inside. What? Why? Like, what's been your take on him? Why he's, you know, he's why is he playing like this right again? I always it's it's June, so I don't want yeah. people to go crazy, but like again, traits that you're seeing. So what traits are you seeing from him that have let him have a good spring? Well, I think the thing is that you see a lot of what got you excited last year. And it's a guy who plays with very patient feet and has excellent arm length. And so he's a very tough matchup for receivers. Arm length is a huge deal too, by the way. And I know like I hear it from people here too. Yeah. And you can just see like Jahan, for example, has looked absolutely phenomenal. Like he's He's, you know, turning DBs around. He's creating great separation. He's he's challenging guys. And then in the slot, you know, which is where they thought he was going to be kind of excelling, he's matching up with Benjamin St. Juice. And Benjamin St. Juice is just – he's so patient with his feet and he's got such long arms. Like, Jahan is getting open, but it's so late in the down because he's got to fight with these long arms and work that it's it's not a win. You know what I mean? Even though it's a late win, it's not a win because it's not right. the timing of the play. And I think that – um that's that's a big testament to Benjamin St. Juice and the fact that he's playing this kind of Buffalo nickel nickel hybrid and fitting runs and fitting screens and you can see a physicality there. Now again, I worry about the concussions and I worry about his and health a, and like and and it's a different type of nickel role than obviously Landon Collins would have played, but but he's able yeah. to fill a nickel role. For yeah, and I think like that's the thing people think oh Buffalo nickel is this unique thing. It's just a difference in personnel, really. It's just finding a guy who's who you feel comfortable playing nickel versus base, like so versus two tight ends or versus a tight end, a fullback, a guy that can keep you nickel personnel on the field. And that's Landon, right? So I'm not sure if Benjamin St. Juice is going to be that right. nickel, but it's the same position. The responsibilities right. are very similar. So he does have to fit runs. He does have to fit nickel runs. And he's done a great job with that. And you like his physicality. You like his matchups. He bumped outside because William Jackson III wasn't there yesterday. And again, you just love how calm he is with his feet. Sean Springs, I got to talk to him about Benjamin St. Juice earlier this week, and you know, he said, like, he just seems to have a plan. He's, yeah. he's not he's not flummoxed. Like, when you compare him to other corners on the roster, um, the other corners are anxious. You can see the tension in their body, and there's not that with him, which means he's confident, he knows what he's doing, and he's just playing at a high level. So, you know, obviously, like you said, it's very early in the offseason, but cornerback is a position that lends itself to early evaluation because it's athletically based. And obviously there's a physical element too, like Troy Apke, Exhibit A, right? But I think it's important to kind of um, to, to give him his due, right? Because he's done a really nice job. Um, and he's had some busts at the nickel, which is tough because like 
Scott Turner's done a great job of kind of formationally um, challenging rules within the defense. But again, just from like a down to down consistency, like I've probably been him and Kendall Fuller have just been doing an outstanding job in terms of cornerbacks. I love Kendall Fuller and I always have because I always think he's a smart player. Yeah. yeah I know, he, you know, he's, he's not, not, hasn't been a Pro Bowl corner. I just like him and his approach. But yeah. the other corner, William Jackson, struggled at times last year. What have you seen? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't like talking badly about people, uh, but he has had, I think he struggled a little bit, you know, like just to put it as succinctly as possible. Like he's, he struggled a little bit and, you know, like just like yesterday seeing Benjamin St. Juice kind of take over for William Jackson's third, who was absent yesterday or wasn't practicing yesterday. And you just saw how, how not easy he made it look, but it was just, he was just much more in control. And I think um, obviously you see the physical skills that William Jackson, the third has, you see his length, you see his size, you see his speed at times, you know, um, but also like he doesn't always put himself in the best position pre-snap to, you know, like he's, so let's say they're playing quarters and it's a tight split, right? Like you want to kind of leverage outside the receiver, quite frankly, so that you can funnel into the receipt to the, to the safeties and the linebacker and use your help. And then, but he's playing that guy head up for some reason. So Diami's able to outside release, sell the post and break out against bad leverage. And that all stemmed from pre-snap stuff. And then he bumps out to full width. His leverage should change because he wants to force him to the sideline in quarters. Traditionally, I don't know exactly the technique they're coaching, but I'm just assuming, right? And then, um, and then he doesn't do that. He lines up head up or lines up outside. And he just, again, like, I think that kind of correction would be very beneficial for just making him play with a little bit more consistency. Cause you see the tools are there, but you got to put yourself in a good position with pre-staff stuff. And I think that's something Sean, Sean Springs harped on when we went out and watched practice. And I, and I, I agree with that. I agree with that hundred percent. So speaking of a guy with a plan, I'm getting him to Dotson and I don't want to gush too much about a kid who hasn't played yet. Yeah. I just like what I've seen. And, and the thing is the more you watch him on film, you see the subtle movements it's not just the big catches and the wide, yeah. the, the wide catch radius, which is the buzzword for this year. So what are some of the subtle things that you've seen in his game that might be more than what a typical rookie would show? Yeah. So I think there's like this notion that people, you know, they go on Instagram and they watch everyone working these like crazy cone drills and double sticks and like these really sudden movements. And they say, that is what a receiver is. And that's a big part of playing receiver, no doubt. Like, you know, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, all those guys that made a living being excellent in that short area space. But there's also this thing um, like, like route stems, which take a little bit longer and are a little bit more subtle, and they show a comprehensive understanding of coverage. And it's something I've missed on my evaluation in the past, and I've kicking myself now, but one of the things when you watch Shahan in college is he did that. So like just an example against Maryland, like we were talking about this the other day, he's running a post in the red zone and the quarter, and it's cover three, and the corner has outside leverage. So he stems inside. The corner matches the inside stem, and then he bursts past the corner to the outside toward the sideline, gets in the corner's blind spot. The corner turns like he's running a go, and then he breaks across his face. There was no double stick. There was no nothing sudden there. He just understood what the corner had to do and how to kind of attack the corner's responsibilities. And so you say, well, that's great in college because they run like four coverages a game. So but can he do that in the NFL? And this team runs a lot of variations of very comparable coverages and everyone's rules kind of shift and they shift post snap, which makes things really, really tough on quarterbacks and receivers to make these side adjustments. And Jahan has just every single day shown a very high level of understanding of how to beat these guys. Like, you know, second day of OTAs, 
Bobby McCain's got a man-to-man in the slot. He stands in like he's running across the field, stems vertical, Bobby backs up. He double sticks like he's running a dig. Bobby breaks on the dig and he breaks out for an easy out. And like he's playing chess when everybody else at the receiver position right now is playing checkers, right? I think another play that comes to mind is he had a post, um, I think it was two days ago, where he's got or a big out. So he's running vertical, he sells the post, he breaks it back out and leaves Kendra full on the post. Next day he comes in, he runs the thing to the post and you're like, okay, he's run the post again. And Kendall Fuller's not a dummy, so he sits down because he's playing the out. Jahan stutters his feet like he's running an out. Kendall stops and breaks on the out, and he breaks the dig, and it's a completion. And so that is stacking routes. That's dictating to your coverage. That's understanding the DB's rules. And, again, that stuff's transferable to the season. Now, is he as fast with pads on? Is he as sudden with pads on? I don't know, but that route running stem and setting up that stuff based on coverage – that's some high level stuff now. You know what I mean? Like that's big boy NFL receiver stuff. And that's why when you talk to people around the league, they said he was the most NFL ready receiver of the group. And that's right. why I liked him more than like a guy like Alave, for example. Yeah, no, I, I have really enjoyed what I've seen of him so far. And then going back and watching him and like, even there, like, I, th- I feel like he's got a plan and I feel yes. like he attacks, he attacks their leverage and knows how, and he knew that Kendall was going to react your way, which is why he did that. <laughs> but I do want, we only have about a couple minutes, two minutes left or so. So I do want to get like, who is a veteran maybe that has emerged in your eyes in a pleasant way that you say, okay, I've now got to pay more attention to him in August. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, this is going to maybe a cop out, but the guy that's been the best, I think has kind of positioned himself for a big year this year is, uh, Cam curl. I knew you were going like to say he, that. Yeah. He just, he, he just looks ready. You know, like he's his eyes on screens, his eyes on play pass. He's in coverages. Like, I think he's, you know, like every safety here is compared to Sean Springs, you know, like they're not Sean Springs. Um, Sean Taylor. Yeah. Sean Taylor. And like, I talked to, I, you know, I was watching practice with um, Sean Springs and he was like, man, that kind of reminds like, he's reminding me of Sean a little bit. You know what I mean? Just because he's, He's making plays. He's where he's supposed to be. He's playing with good energy. And again, in the same way, Jahan is kind of, you know, using route stems to set stuff up like Cam's disguising coverages. He's reading formational tells. He's using pre-snap alignments. And again, it's early and safety is a physical position, right. but that's something that I think he's but been he's shown that the first two years too. Yes, like, that, right. like this is an ele- this is an evolution of his game more right. than it is a, Oh, like, cause we saw Troy Aki look good in camp a couple of years ago. It didn't translate. But yeah. we had not seen him look good before that either. This yeah. guy has looked good. And so the, to me, it's just a continued evolution of his game. So, you know, I've always, you know, I've, I think the kid's a smart player. Yeah. And I think, you know, then Cam Curl, obviously. And then I think everyone on the offensive line has done a really nice job. Like Wes Schweitzer at center has been outstanding. Cosme, I think, is poised to be something better, you know, than, than people were expecting when they drafted him last year. And Leno has been very solid. The two guards have done a nice job. So that group, I think, needs a little bit of a shout out because they've kind of been unheralded. Um, I think they all have their limitations, but I think they're gelling together nicely as a group. So that's a group that I think I was concerned about early, but I'm starting to get more confident as the offseason goes. Logan, I have always appreciate your time. People listen, always learn. So, by the way, we got I got about a minute left. Tell them where you can not only find you on Instagram, but your podcast. Yes. So my podcast is Take Command. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. We talk about a lot of stuff I talk about with you is on there and, you know, just kind of deeper dives into some of the stuff we talk about on like uh, the show with Julie, for example. And then um, obviously my Instagram is Logan underscore Paulson 82. And again, just football breakdowns and 
little little tidbits that I find interesting from the film I'm watching and stuff like that. There you so. go. Good. It's good stuff. Always great stuff. So you and Craig Hoffman doing a good job on that podcast. So thank you very much. And I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, bud. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Logan for joining me. And thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode on Monday. Talk to you next time.